Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 25. Journeys. Odysseus was the cleverest of the Greeks who went to Troy. He was clever enough to know that you can't avoid your fate. Ten years before, he'd been happily reigning as king on the island of Ithaca. He had a beautiful wife, Penelope, and a young son, Telemachus. He had been told that if he went to fight at Troy, he wouldn't return for twenty years. As we know, he had tried to get out of going. He pretended to be mad, but Palamedes had shown everyone that he wasn't. Now the war was over, and he'd only been away for ten years. Poor Odysseus wondered what it was that was going to get in his way, and make him waste another ten years getting home. He decided he'd see if the prophecy had been wrong, and try to get home anyway. When we left him in the last chapter, he'd taken his men and his twelve ships back to the shores of Troy, after the storms, in order to have another go at sailing for Ithaca. This is where we will rejoin him. The ships sailed south towards Greece. The wind blew them off course towards Thrace. There they landed and were attacked by the locals who had been allies of the Trojans. Odysseus had, as we know, killed their king Rhesus and stolen their white horses. The Greeks were hardened by many years of war and made short work of the Thracians, killing everyone except Maron, the priest of Apollo. Maron was very grateful and gave Odysseus twelve flasks of wine as a big thank you. The wine was as sweet as honey and incredibly strong. It was so strong that it was supposed to be mixed with twenty times as much water before it was drunk. Seventy-two of Odysseus's men were lost in the fighting, but the rest made it back to the ships and they set sail. The storms drove them south for ten days. The ships were driven to dock at the land of the Lotus Eaters. Now this sounds as if it was a great place. Anyone who arrived and ate the lotus plant never wanted to leave. All they wanted to do was sit around in the sun and relax. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Odysseus sent three scouts ashore, and they never came back. Then he sent three more scouts to scout out the scouts. They never came back. Then he went out with more scouts to scout out all the scouts who had been scouting in the first place. He found all of them lazing around in the sun. He dragged them back to the ships and tied them down until the effect of the lotus plant wore off. Odysseus breathed a sigh of relief as he sailed away. Next, he and his men were blown to a lovely-looking island full of sheep. The men needed clothing and food, so Odysseus went ashore with twelve of his men. They searched the island for anything dangerous and all looked safe until they came to a large cave. In the cave were goats, lambs, giant containers full of milk and giant cheeses. It looked like the home of somebody rather large. And indeed it was. The Greeks had landed on the island of the Cyclops. Not only that, they had stumbled on the cave of a particularly savage murderous Cyclops called Polyphemus. Polyphemus liked to eat lamb and cheese, but most of all he liked to eat humans. Odysseus thought for a few minutes before deciding that by far the bravest and best idea was to run away very, very fast. He was about to order his men to scarper for their lives when the mouth of the cave went dark. Standing there was a giant with one single eye in the middle of his head. The Cyclops had come home. The men hid at the back of the cave and the giant didn't seem to notice them, 
When he had milked his goats, though, he put a huge boulder across the entrance of the cave and lit a fire. The light of the fire revealed thirteen quaking men, trembling with fear. The Cyclops spoke with a booming voice. Who are you? Odysseus decided the second bravest and best idea was to pretend all was fine and have a nice chat with the Cyclops. He spoke clearly and jauntily. Hello, he said. We are weary travellers returning from war. Could we buy some of your cheeses and share dinner with you? The Cyclops laughed. Then he replied by picking up two of the men, smashing their heads on the ground, spluttering brains and bits of skull all round the cave. Then he pulled off their arms and legs and ate them, clothing, bones and all. After a good long drink of milk, full and tired, Polyphemos went to sleep. When he could hear the giant snoring loudly, Odysseus drew his sword and was about to plunge it into the Cyclops. Suddenly a thought occurred to him. If he killed Polyphemos, they'd never be able to move the boulder at the cave entrance. They'd be trapped there for ever. Slowly he replaced the sword and sat down to think. In the morning the Cyclops woke up, stretched, yawned and had two more men for breakfast. He went out for the day, blocking the cave entrance with the boulder. He smiled to himself as he went to tend his animals. He had nine more men. That was four and a half good meals. Lovely, he thought, and licked his lips in anticipation. In the cave a plan was formed. Odysseus and his men sharpened a stake and hid it. When Polyphemus returned, he smashed the brains out of a couple more of Odysseus's men and had a particularly tasty meal of Greek and milk. As he was settling down to sleep, Odysseus spoke to him. "'Have a lovely glass of wine with your meal,' he said, and offered the Cyclops some of the very, very strong wine given to him by Maron. The Cyclops snatched the wine and drank it. "'More!' he shouted. "'More he got. "'Never have I had such a wonderful drink,' he said. "'I will give you a gift. "'Your gift that will be that I'll eat you last.' The Cyclops laughed madly at his own joke and drank more and more. When he was good and drunk, he looked down at Odysseus. "'What is your name?' he said. "'I'd like to drink to your death.' He laughed again. "'My name is Nobody,' said Odysseus. Before long, the Cyclops was asleep. The seven remaining men took the sharpened stake from its hiding place and rammed it fiercely into Polyphemus's eye. The giant roared in pain and shouted for help. The other Cyclops came running, shouting, "'What's going on? Who is hurting you?' The Cyclops, drunk and in pain, believed what Odysseus had told him and yelled, "'Nobody is trying to trick me! Nobody is trying to kill me!' The other Cyclops heard him and took him at his word. If nobody was attacking Polyphemus, then he didn't need any help. They tutted and went away. In the morning, the blind Cyclops moved the rock away from the cave entrance so that his sheep could go out and graze. "'Come on, my flock,' he said. "'Out you come. "'When you have gone out, I will feel around for these treacherous men and eat them all.' The sheep all trotted out, and the Cyclops searched his cave, but he found no men. They had escaped by clinging to the underside of the largest sleek sheep as they went out. By the time Polyphemus realised and roared in anger, Odysseus and his men were back on their ships. As they sailed away, Odysseus shouted back to the island, "'I have tricked you, one-eyed giant. I, Odysseus, have tricked you.' 
Polyphemus heard the name and went to tell his father what the Greek had done to him. Polyphemus's father promised he'd cause many more problems for Odysseus before he got home, and his homecoming would not be pleasant. Polyphemus's father was Poseidon, and he was as good as his word. It didn't seem as if there would be any more problems when the ships next found land. They docked at a floating island called Aeolia. The king of the island was Aeolos, guardian of the winds. He was a nice friendly chap, and he allowed the crews to stay for a month while he fed and clothed them. When they were ready to go, Aeolos handed Odysseus a leather bag. This bag contains all the winds except the gentle west wind, he explained. The west wind will blow you back over the Ionian Sea to Ithaca. If you need to change direction, then all you need to do is release the other winds one by one. Odysseus thanked Aeolus and they left for their quick journey home. Unfortunately, Odysseus hadn't told his men what was in the bag, and they thought it was treasure. They thought their leader was keeping the treasure from them. They thought they had better open the bag. For ten days they waited, but Odysseus never let the bag out of his sight. On the tenth day, the shores of Ithaca came into view. Odysseus, exhausted but very, very happy, fell asleep as the ships neared home. As soon as he was asleep, the silly crew opened the bag and all of the winds flew out. The ships were blown all over the place and eventually ended up back at Aeolia. Aeolos decided the gods were against Odysseus and refused to help him again. For six more days they tried to sail back to Ithaca, but the winds blew them onto another foreign shore. Odysseus moored his ships and ordered his men onto the beach. Waiting for them was a young girl. She told them she was the daughter of the local king, Antiphates, and invited the Greeks to her father's palace. Now, you would think that Odysseus had realised his journey wasn't going well, and maybe, just maybe, going to the palace might be a bad idea. Odysseus, though, led his men to the palace without seeming to worry at all. When they got there, they wished they hadn't come. Antiphates was king of the Lastragonians, a race of savage, man-eating giants. As soon as they reached the palace, one of Odysseus's men was eaten by Antiphates' wife. They ran for their lives back to the ships, chased by thousands of giants. The men reached the water and swam for the ships but the giants speared them like fish and ate loads of them. All but one of the ships was sunk by rocks thrown by the giants. Only Odysseus's own ship survived. The king of Ithaca had lost eleven of his twelve ships and most of his men. He sailed on sadly. The surviving crew were miserable and exhausted. The last remaining ship washed up on the shore of Aya. Odysseus sent twenty-three men ashore to have a good look round. They soon came to a clearing where they saw lions and wolves. At first the men were frightened, but the wild animals appeared to be standing up and talking as if they were people. And why was this? Well, it was because they were people. They had been turned into animals by an enchantress who ruled the island. Her name was Circe. Odysseus's crew heard some singing. It was a woman's voice and they followed the sound. They came to a house and inside found Circe and a lovely feast. There was also some quite excellent wine, flavoured with barley, cheese and honey. The men drank thirstily, but the wine was drugged. The men were turned into pigs. One of the crew, 
a man called Eurylochos, had suspected a trap and waited outside the house. As soon as he realised what had happened, he ran back to the ship and told Odysseus. The Ithacan king strode towards Circe's house, determined to sort it out. On the way, he met Hermes, who had been waiting for him. The Olympian gave Odysseus a plant called Moly, with black roots and white flowers. He told him to sniff the plant and he'd be immune to the drugged wine. Odysseus did as he was told. He strode to the house and Circe welcomed him. She handed him a glass of the magical wine. He drank it, handed back the glass and grinned. Then he drew his sword and pointed it at Circe's chest. The enchantress realised she'd been beaten. She bowed her head, promised to turn the pigs back into men and asked Odysseus to stay for a year, after which she'd tell him what he had to do next. Odysseus agreed. He knew his journey was going to take ten years, so he decided he may as well spend one of them on this lovely island. When the year was over, Circe was as good as her word. "'I don't know what you need to do next,' she said seriously, "'but I know a man who does. "'You must ask the great seer Tiresias.' Odysseus frowned. "'But he's been dead for years,' he said, puzzled. "'Then a look of horror came across his face. "'You don't mean?' Circe nodded. "'Yes, Odysseus, you must travel to the land of Hades. "'Lord Hades will allow your visit.' "'Following Circe's instruction, Odysseus and his men sailed to the far end of the world. "'Odysseus alone descended into the underworld. "'Once there, he sacrificed a ram and a black ewe.' He let the blood flow into a trench and drew his sword. Many shades came up to him, including a member of his crew who had recently died, and Odysseus' his own mother. All of them demanded they be allowed to drink the blood, but Odysseus fought them all off. He knew he had to let Tiresias drink first. The shade of Tiresias appeared. Odysseus offered him the blood and he drank thirstily. When he had finished, he spoke carefully. You will return home, Odysseus, as long as you do not harm the cattle of Helios. When you get there, though, there will be troubles. Many men will be trying to take your place as king of Ithaca. The last remaining ship set out again. Before long, it approached the island of the Sirens. These women had the most wonderful voices, and when they sang, men became enchanted. Their ships would crash against the rocks, and they would be killed. The Argo had passed the island many years before, and Orpheus had played his beautiful music and drowned out the sound. The Argonauts did not hear the sirens and had survived. Odysseus had no Orpheus with him. They would need a different solution to the problem of the sirens. Odysseus ordered his men to fill their ears with beeswax. Then he ordered them to bind him securely to the mast of the ship and not release him, no matter how hard he begged, until they passed the island. They did as they were told, and rowed the ship past the rocks, above which the sirens sang. Odysseus heard the music. It was a wonderful, enchanting sound, and he pleaded with his men to untie him. The men, though, had ears full of beeswax, and they didn't hear him, and rowed past. Before long, the island of the sirens was a dot in the sea far behind them, and the singing could no longer be heard. Odysseus was the first man who had heard the voices of the sirens and survived. The sirens couldn't take it. Never had a man heard them and lived to tell the tale. They flung themselves onto the rocks below. Never again would the sirens lure a sailor to his death.
Odysseus was untied. On and on the ship sailed, until it came to a narrow sea channel. This was the most dangerous of all narrow sea channels. On one side of the channel was a terrifying monster with six heads and octopus-like tentacles, who would grab sailors from their ships and crack their bones before eating them. She was called Scylla. On the other side was a huge monster that frequently sucked water in and created a deadly whirlpool, which could drag ships down to the depths. She was called Charybdis. Odysseus was stuck with a choice. Should he go closer to Scylla, or should he go closer to Charybdis? If he went closer to Charybdis, then they might be able to get through when she wasn't sucking water in. He might, though, lose the ship in the whirlpool, and then everyone would die. If he went closer to Scylla, then he wouldn't lose the ship, but it was virtually certain she'd grab a few men and eat them. Odysseus thought. What should he do? What did he do? He followed Circe's advice. It was better to lose a few men than risk losing everyone. He sailed closer to Scylla. The monster grabbed six of his men, cracked their bones and ate them. Everybody else survived. Odysseus, quickly running out of men, ordered them to land on the next island so they could rest and eat. Unfortunately, the next island was the land of Thrinacia. On the island of Thrinacia lived the cattle of the sun god. Blind, dead Tiresias had told Odysseus he must not harm them. Odysseus hoped he wouldn't accidentally damage them. The ship landed, and the crew ate berries and fruit and felt a lot better. They tried to sail off, but yet again there was no wind. The next day, there was no wind. The day after that, there was no wind. Twenty-nine days passed, and still no wind. The men began to run out of food. On the thirtieth day, Odysseus's crew had had enough. They waited until their leader was asleep, killed a few cows, and had a steak feast. Odysseus was horrified, and quickly ordered his men to sail away. He was too late. Helios was mad with rage. He complained to Zeus, and threatened to stay in bed and not carry the sun across the sky the next day. Zeus knew he had to punish the men, and he made winds blow the ship back towards Scylla and Charybdis. And this time, Odysseus had no choice about where he should sail. The ship was swept into Charybdis's whirlpool. It lurched towards the centre of the pool and was dragged beneath the waves. Odysseus, the only man who had not eaten the sun god beefsteak, managed to grab hold of a branch. He pulled himself clear and watched his ship and all the rest of his men plunge beneath the waves. A little while later, Charybdis spewed up a few bits of ship. When all was calm, Odysseus grabbed hold of a large floating plank and allowed himself to be carried away by the current. Nine days later, he washed up on the shores of Ogygia, home of Calypso. Calypso was a goddess and daughter of the titan Atlas. She was immensely beautiful and she took a real liking to the hero of Troy. She tried to persuade him to stay with her forever. She tried very hard to persuade him to stay. If you stay with me, Odysseus, she said, I will make you immortal. You will never die and you will never get old. All Odysseus wanted was his home, his wife and his son. He longed for his Penelope. He refused Calypso's offer time and time again. For seven years she kept him on her island and he just got sadder and sadder. He begged her to let him leave and when she wouldn't, he begged the gods to let him die. 
Athena intervened. She asked Zeus to set him free. Poseidon, though, was still angry that Odysseus had blinded his son and refused to allow it. Zeus waited for his brother to go away for a few days and then sent Hermes to tell Calypso she must release her prisoner. Calypso did as she was told. The hero was supplied with a raft and he sailed towards home. All was going fine until Poseidon arrived back on Olympus and realised he had been duped. He sent a violent storm which destroyed Odysseus's raft. Odysseus plunged into the sea and looked certain to die, but he was saved by the goddess Leucothea. She gave him a magic shawl and told him to tie it round himself. It kept him afloat and he swam for days until he landed on the island of Scheria. Poor old Odysseus despaired. Again he had no ship. How was he to carry on his journey? At last, though, he had some luck. He was found by a girl called Nausicaa, who took him to the palace of her parents, the king and queen of the island. He was given new clothes, and a huge banquet was laid on. There was entertainment at the banquet. A minstrel called Demodokos sang heroic songs and told heroic tales. Soon he began to sing about Troy, the war, the deaths and the wooden horse. Odysseus listened until he could take it no more. It had been ten years since the fall of Troy and the poor man was still not home. Odysseus began to cry. As he wept, he told the king and queen the whole story of his terrible journey. They felt very sorry for Odysseus and they promised to take him home. Odysseus thanked them with all his heart and prepared to leave. He boarded their ship and immediately fell asleep. When he woke up, he was on a misty shore. He rubbed his eyes and wondered which misty shore he was on. Could it really be Ithaca? Could he be home at last? Next week, we will complete the story of Odysseus and find out whether in fact he is at home at last. We will also tie up the last little loose end and find out what eventually happened to Aeneas and his people. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.